You're listening to a CFCC audio podcast. For news and service times, visit www.cfccnet.org. Good morning. It's so good to see all of you guys this morning. Again, welcome to SciFair Christian Church. We're glad that you chose to worship with us. Uh, if this is your first time here, we'd love to know that you are here. We have connect cards in the little pockets in the pew in front of you. If you would fill one of those out, and before you leave today, drop them off at the, the kiosk in the foyer, we have a gift for you. Uh, we're glad you're here. A couple of things before we get started this morning. First, uh, a week from tomorrow is Christmas Eve. So A, that's a warning if you're not finished your shopping, right? You have a week. Uh, Amazon's not that difficult. You can do this. You've got a week, right? So a week from tomorrow is Christmas Eve, and we'll be having our Christmas Eve service at 5 p.m., so we'd love to have you guys here. Our Christmas Eve service, we're inviting all of the kids to come in. All the littles will be with us. So bring your whole family. Uh, we're going to take communion. We're going to sing together. Uh, and then, like many of you, my favorite, uh, my favorite part of Christmas is singing the last song with the candlelight. We'll do that together as a church family uh, on that Monday. So make plans to be with us here at 5 o'clock on Christmas Eve. Also, I wanted to draw your attention Uh, There's a lot of things in the bulletin that would be good for you guys to know, so grab one of these before you leave. You can look it over. Uh, But I wanted to point out that we're going to be hosting Perspectives starting in January, on January 21st. And this is a class about missions and just kind of about the world in general. Uh, A great class to take. You can sign up for it online. Uh, But it will be here starting January 21st. If you have any questions, there's an email in the bulletin for Dora Scott. You can email her. Uh, and she'll get back to you and answer all your questions. So I uh, would love to see as many of you as we can at Perspective starting in January. Now, if you would, uh, please stand with us uh, and draw your attention to the right side of the stage. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> I guess I'm supposed to read. Okay. The word Advent comes from the Latin word that means coming or arrival. For centuries, the church has celebrated the four-week Advent season by lighting candles in a wreath and reflecting on the coming of Jesus as told in Scripture. The circle of the wreath represents God's never-ending love for us, the evergreens represent Christ's gift of eternal life, and the candles announce Jesus as the light of the world. The last two weeks, we've lit the candle of hope and the candle of peace. The third candle of Advent is the candle of love. This verse describes the great love that God has for you, such a great love that just the thought of you delights him and causes him to sing over you. In fact, he loves you so much, he sent his only son to save us from sin so that we could spend eternity in his presence. And now a reading from Zephaniah. Please stand. The reading is Zephaniah 3, 14 through 20. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He who will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. 
He will exalt you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcast and I will change their shame into praise and renown it all the earth. At that time, I bring you in at the time when I gather you together for I will make you renowned and praised among the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. I'd like to close with prayer. Our Father, our Lord, our God, we come before you praising your name. We praise you for who you are. We come before you with thanks for all the many blessings that you have given to us for all that we have have come from you. We thank you for the gift of your wisdom and the gift of your love. We pray that you guide us through this time of Advent, a time of waiting and a time of arrival of you and your never-ending love. As we light the candles of hope, peace, and love, we ask you to be with us, guide us, and place these upon our hearts and lives. We give thanks for your gift of salvation from sin, from our enemies, as you did for the people of Israel. We lift you up in praise, for you are our God and our Savior. We celebrate your coming through Advent and the celebration of your birth. We ask you to be with us, guide us, protect us, as we live a life of hope, peace, and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke writes that the shepherds were keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We will continue over the next few weeks um, taking part in what we call Advent Conspiracy as we lean into the holidays in a different way. We seek to turn radical consumerism on its head and we give so that all people might hear good news. Um, we're already about a third of our goal of $10,000. This money is going to refugees, primarily Muslim refugees in Sicily, the vast majority of which have never heard the gospel of Christ. So think about yourself with nothing. And I mean literally nothing. Many of these refugees pass through around 15 countries in Africa to get to the shores of Sicily. Nothing. Teenage boys coming with no family on their own. Some of them are put on the streets to sell one to three cigarettes, one to three cigarettes a day to raise money. Many of them go from the largest refugee camp in Italy, uh, Mineo, to the city of Catania. 
They walk, they hitchhike around 20 miles to beg on the weekends for money. You and I have the opportunity to build a bicycle shop. It provides them livelihood. It allows them to repair their bicycles so that they don't walk but actually have transportation. So think of your transportation each day, each week, and think about the privilege of providing significant transportation, a bicycle, to a refugee with very little in their life. Some of you will buy bicycles this Christmas. I challenge you to consider giving the same amount you spend on a bicycle um, to Advent conspiracy as we think about others, not ourselves, but others, so that the good news of Jesus Christ might be shared with all people. Um, Some of you are rallying to make up our deficit for the remainder of the year. I I just tell you, I'm very proud to be a part of a church that when we have a little bit of a challenge, we don't turn inward. Do you hear me? We continue an outward focus and we take care of our inward needs. You have proved yourself faithful again and again. Let's ask God to bless our investment in his kingdom work. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you have provided us a savior. You have shared with each of us good news of great joy that is for all the people of this earth, both here in our neighborhoods and to the ends of the earth. Father, bless this investment we make. Bless this offering. Bless this act of worship as we give for your glory and your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, we're, we're in the middle of a series about Christmas traditions, and you guys um, uh, reminded me that you've been doing this this Christmas party, this Christmas Eve party now. So how did that start, um, and and what's what's the purpose of it? Wow, I can't even begin to remember how that far back. It's been 15 plus years, yeah, maybe as old as Max. Which would put it around 20, 25. And it began because we wanted to get everybody together that uh, we knew and friends and just have a, a good time on Christmas Eve to have a, a time of fellowship and a time of uh, socializing and, uh, and then head to the church for our Christmas Eve service. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a really, it was a function of all the members, that, friends of ours from the church at the time, plus a few relatives. And so what kind of things happen at the party? Well, we just um, kind of visit, reconnect, and it's open house, so like you say, it's come and go. Um, we mainly just eat, eat tamales, um, have wine, junk food, visit. lots of junk yeah. food. We have a candy buffet for the kids, and so that's, that's a lot of fun. I believe yours have been a beneficiary of that candy bar. <laughs> they have, they have. 
I'll tell you that we have a lot of kids that really enjoy coming to that just because of the candy bar. Yeah. It's been fun to see them grow up too. Yeah. You know, they'll start out like little and um, and then kind of see them sort of outgrow the candy bar. Right. So why is this important to you? This party, this Christmas party. You want to go first on that one? <laughs> Um, I just think it's important for us to stop for a few minutes and get together and just remember that we, we love each other, sort of reconnect, um, just take a little bit of time and just take a deep breath and um, remember maybe the past year, just remember the friendship and kind of rekindle that a little bit um, and then sort of look back on the previous Christmases and just see how God's brought you, you know, um, and, and I think that's important, just to keep those friendships and those relationships alive and flourishing. Yeah, I feel very blessed by the friendships that we've developed over the years here. Obviously, a church-like community evolves, people come, people go, and over time, we've had a lot of faces come to our, our house at Christmas time. And one of the things that I believe that uh, when we started out, we wanted to get together and socialize with our friends for the, the blessed day of Christmas. And to do that would also invite people into the house just to uh, relax, enjoy the, uh, the season, to show our children and to set an example of hospitality and uh, how friends get together with friends, especially at uh, Christmas time or the celebration of what that day truly means. And so I think over time, our children have developed that uh, spirit because I know through their own endeavors, you know, they, they socialize, they're outgoing people. But uh, to get together at Christmas time, regardless of where we are, you know, we all come back to that one point at our house and it seems like uh, it's become bigger than what uh, we ever thought it would be. Yeah. 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 And speaking of that, you had, I think I heard in passing that you wanted to like invite the church. Yes. So yes, here's your opportunity. Oh, cool. Well, okay, camera, yeah, like please. Obviously, since this is before the congregation, uh, it has been, you know, there's never been a formal a printed invitation. It's just been word of mouth. So here is word of mouth to the members of South <laughs> Christian Church. Please it is us. from 2 to 4, Christmas Eve. Come on out, come have some tamales, right. visit with uh, with our friends and uh, loved ones, and just uh, reconnect, like Sherry said, to think about what God's uh, gifts for us uh, over the years have uh, brought us through the year and prepare us for the, the uh, celebration of our Lord's uh, birth. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun. It, it is. And yeah, and we'll sugar up your kids. And it That's works right. out nice because most of the parents speak to us again like in February, March. So. <laughs>that wasn't a joke. That was a real invitation. So let's all head over to the Boozers on Christmas Eve to at four o'clock, two to four o'clock, two to four o'clock. We'll head over there and then uh, we'll come back over here for Christmas Eve service. How's that sound? All right. So that's your invitation. You might want to order some extra tamales.
uh, if you guys have questions, you know Bob and Sherry now. So, uh, so ask them. They'd be happy to have you over. This has been a fun series to hear about the Christmas traditions that each of you have and how you celebrate our Christmas traditions. Sociologists say traditions are what we do with our families to pass along what we value what we believe in, what's most important to us. And so what are your traditions? What are you celebrating? What are you passing along to the next generation, to your family members, to your friends? We want to pass along what's most important about Christmas, and that is our Savior. And so in this Advent season, we have been focusing here on uh, each of the different themes of the Advent candle. We uh, started the first week with the first Advent candle of hope, And then looked last week at peace. And this week, as you heard earlier from the reading by Marty and Kim, we are looking at love, love, love. It has many faces, doesn't it? It has many faces. And um, people see it in all sorts of shapes and sizes. But sometimes it is most clearly seen through the eyes of children. And so... A group of professionals actually posed this question to a group of four to eight-year-olds, and they said, what does love mean? And the answers that they got from these kids were actually much broader and deeper and richer than you might expect. Uh, Chrissy, age six, says, love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. Did you hear that, Paige? Where are you? I see you. Terry, age four, says love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Danny, age seven, says love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure it tastes okay. (laughs) I'm not sure that's in his interest there that she's doing that. But Noel, age seven, says love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt, then he wears it every day. Marianne, age four, says, love is when your puppy licks your face even after you left him alone all day. Karen, age seven, says, when you love somebody, your eyelashes go up and down and little stars come out of you. (laughs) Jessica, age seven, says, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it, but if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. We do, don't we? Rebecca, age eight, says, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore, so my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. And Bobby, age five, says, love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. How about that? What if I were to ask you the same question? What does it mean to love? What does love mean? How would you answer that? How would you put it into words? You know, we think we know what love sounds like when we hear it. We think we know what it sounds like. We think we know what love feels like if we've experienced it or we've seen other people experience. We think we know maybe what love looks like, but even still we struggle to define it. Take music for example. Pick a love song, any love song in any genre, and you will find people trying to put words to what love is. I grew up as a a little kid in the 80s, 
and I'm still haunted by a lot of these songs that I remember hearing as a kid. In 1980, a group named Queen started with a crazy little thing called love. Diana Ross and Lionel Richie followed with an ode to endless love. Ario Speedwagon promised to keep on loving you. Joan Jett declared, I love rock and roll. Tina Turner asked, what's love got to do with it? And Stevie Wonder just called to say, I'm looking for a part-time lover. Huey Lewis and the news plugged us in to the power of love. But the song that has been played more than any of those other love songs, almost 35 years since those, the most popular love song of the 80s was on the fifth album. It was the lead single of this group's fifth album released in 1984 on an album entitled Agent Provocateur. Does anybody know what it was? Jeff Ball, do you know what it was? Put him on the spot. I'll give you, let's get a little taste of it here. Sing along if you know it. Yeah, get the lighters out. Come on, you know the words. Come on, come on. Let me hear it. Very nice. All right. The group was called Foreigner, and the song was I Want to Know What Love Is, right? Now, you're welcome. That song's going to be stuck in your head all week long now, along with Endless Love. I've been listening to that in my head for the last couple of days, Lionel Richie and Diana Ross. The song played more than any other song. Still today, even 35 years later, you know, thousands of years later from, from when songs were being written and poems were being written about love, we still struggle to define what it is. And our culture, it often gets sort of categorized into pink hearts and cupids or at worst diminished into something that's just simply sensual. But the word of God that we're going to look at today paints a, a bigger, deeper, richer picture of what love is. And based on the Bible, what it says about love, I want to pose to you this. I want to define it this way for us today. And it's going to be sort of the overarching statement that we'll kind of hang everything else from. And it's this. Love is a willful Decision. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's not something that happens to you. Love is a willful decision to sacrifice for another. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean to give up your life in this really romantic way for another person. It means to give of yourself for another person. Love is a willful decision to give up something of yourself to another person, and here's the kicker, regardless of who they are, regardless of what they've done, regardless of what they owe you, regardless of how society views them, regardless of how you feel, love is a willful decision to sacrifice for another regardless of who they are. And John has addressed 
the subject of love in his gospel and then in his epistles here, in first and second, the third John specifically in first John, he's writing to the church in, uh, in Ephesus and the surrounding churches in that region. And he talks about love, how it's an indication of a, a person who's walking in light, walking in truth. And then he also talks about it as, a, as an indication that a, a person is a child of God. But specifically in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, he talks about it in a very, very uh, specific way that we're going to look at here today. And I want to read this passage here. And he's, what he's going to do here is John is going to take us to the very origins of love, the source, God himself, and he's going to show us the link between our love for God and our love for others. So read with me. This is 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, and, uh, and I'm going to read through this passage. We're not going to, don't worry, we're not going to, uh, you know, sit and study this whole passage but I think there's so much in here that it just sort of preaches by itself. And so I'm going to read it, and then we're going to go back to the beginning and just look at a couple of verses. So John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And in this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We're gonna go back to that in a little bit. Beloved, he says, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him, he says. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. He goes on, there's no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love, he says, because he first loved us. And if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. So there's a lot there, obviously. And I wanna go back and look at specific verses in the very beginning. The word that John uses in this passage for love is agape, which you may have heard if you've done any studies on the word love. This is the, the richest, deepest most divine kind of love. It's the most, most 
selfless and giving kind of love. And this word for love is mentioned 30 times in the 10 verses. Um, actually, I've read way more than 10 verses. 30 times in that passage that I read from um, verse 7 through chapter 5, verse 3. 30 times John mentions it here. And he says, if you want to know what love is, you got to know God. You must come to know God. And this is not just a kind of like a, a, an acknowledgement of God. This is a deep understanding. This is a relationship with God. You must know God. If you want to know love, if you want to really experience it in its truest undefiled form, then you must know God in the same way. Real, true love undefiled by the world is seen also, he says, in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. So love, its source is from God and the way that we see that is in the sacrifice of Jesus. Now, let me be clear here. Let me be clear here. We're not saying that lost people, people who don't know God, can't love. We're not contradicting, we're not ignoring that fact. That fact does not contradict scripture. Let's be honest Uh, There are people who don't know God that often love better than we do as Christians, as followers of God. There are people that, that, that walk in a more selfless and giving way than we do often as, as Christians. And we shouldn't be surprised by this. Again, this doesn't contradict the scripture that we're looking at today because all of us, everyone has been created by God. Everyone has the imprint of the creator upon their hearts, in their DNA. And in some ways, no matter how big or how small, they're all going to reflect that love. They're all gonna live out that love in some sort of way with other people. Everyone reflects the image of their creator and that source image that we bear, John says, is love. Now notice what he also um, doesn't say here. He doesn't say that love is God. He doesn't say love is God as if to deify God. Daniel Aiken, one writer, said, God is love doesn't equal love is God. Any more than grass is green means green is grass. Who we believe in matters to John, okay? We don't deify this this expression of God. We we look at its source. Who we believe in matters to God. He also doesn't say that God is just loving here, as if love is just one of his many attributes that he expresses or it's one of his activities. Here's the thing. Love does not define God. God defines love. This is at the crux here today. It's the uniting quality that binds the Holy Trinity together and is at the core of every quality that God expresses. Love is at the core. His very essence and his very nature is love. And every other aspect of God is an expression of that love. Think about it this way. I was recently listening to a podcast about the nature of our solar system and our star, which is very good. You're listening. 
our sun is this amazing glowing sphere full of gases that sits 93 million miles away from Earth. Just perfectly, so that it's not too cold and it's not too hot. At the core of the sun, there is uh, hydrogen. I have to be very careful in here because there's a couple of rocket scientists who actually attend this church, so I gotta get this right. At the core of the sun, hydrogen is being compressed in an incredibly um, high-pressure way such that helium is produced, okay? And this is called, this is what we call nuclear, see, nuclear, nuclear, I just said nuclear, nuclear fission, okay? That's what this is called, all right? This is, this is, it's like an actual uh, uh, nuclear factory that's happening here inside the sun. It's estimated, we have no idea of knowing, but it's estimated that the temperature at the core of the sun is about 28 million degrees. 28 million degrees. This energy that's happening in the middle of the sun is its essence, okay? And the byproducts of this 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 change that's happening there, the byproducts of this power that's being created at the core of the sun, two of them are light and heat. And because of the power of the energy of the sun here, that light and that heat are propelled out into the universe, into the solar system, until we feel it on our skin in the noonday sun, or we see the light break the horizon at dawn. You might say that the sun is energy and that the light and the heat are the going forth of that energy, right? So similarly, God is love and his wisdom his justice, his mercy, his generosity, the things that we sang about earlier, his goodness, his grace, all of these things are the going forth of that love. And so if God abides in you, if he lives in you, his love abides in you. It rests, it dwells in your soul. And if that's the case, it will radiate out. It will be the going forth of that love that's in you. And John says, so if you say you know God, but you don't love your brother, how can that love be in you? How can you say that you know God if that love isn't radiating out of you? When you are born again in Christ, you are born again in love. Do you hear that? God is love. When you are born again in him, you are born again in love. And his nature becomes a part of who you are. It becomes woven into your DNA. It becomes a part of your essence. God's nature is love. And if he abides in you, that nature becomes a part of who you are. I'm repeating myself. But this is important. It's not the imitation of love. It's not a cheap copy of love. If holy God dwells and abides within you, this divine love lives 
within you and the extension of that love to others like the light and the heat of the sun is proof that God abides within you. And so the first way John links God's love for us and our love for people is by focusing on God's nature as love. And now as we look at this next verse, John focuses on how this love was displayed in Jesus. He says in verse nine, in this love of God, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved, but that God, but not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. The proof, John says, the proof of God's love is that he sent his Jesus, God sent Jesus to die for our sins. The Apostle Paul says something similar in Romans 5 verse 8. He said, God showed his love for us in while we were still, what? Sinners, that he died for us. This is how God showed us his love. And John says, Jesus is the propitiation of our sins. A big church word. Everybody say propitiation. It only occurs a couple of times in scripture, but this is an important word. And you're a theologian now. You can say it. Propitiation simply means atoning sacrifice. That Jesus was the atoning sacrifice that by his death on the cross, Christ completely satisfied the just demands of the Holy Father for judgment for sin. This word means to turn away the wrath of God by means of an offering. That's what Jesus did. He stood in our place and satisfied the judgment of God by his sacrifice. And so for our sake, he made him who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became sin, even though he knew no sin, for us so that we might stand in righteousness before him. And John says, by this, we know love. By this, we understand it. We see it. We experience it, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Again, does that mean to to take a bullet for somebody? That's immediately where our minds go. And I will tell you, I will argue the fact that that's the easy way to love. When we think about laying down our lives for our spouses or our significant others or our family members, that's what we think about. And yeah, I would do that, I would do that. But will you do it in the grind, in the meantime? Will you lay down your life in a way that you live it out on a day-to-day basis. And will you do it not just for your significant other, but would you do it for someone else regardless of who they are, regardless of what they owe you? God's love for Jesus is infinite. Infinite. The Son of God was not created I want to go back to a passage that I, that I skipped. 
The Holy Trinity existed together in love in the very beginning. Jesus wasn't created. We know from scripture that in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus says in his own words in John chapter 17 when he's praying, he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. Jesus existed in perfect harmony. He was bound with the Father and the Son in love and existed together before there was time. And God's love for Jesus is infinite. Jesus was not created. He always existed as God, eternally begotten by the Father, yet God was willing to send Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us in a humble manger. Bob Coughlin says this. This is beautiful. He says, the infinite became an infant. The all-knowing one became a babbling baby. The author climbed inside the page. And he would grow up and he would mature to teach us in all wisdom what love is. What love is looks like but then to show us to actually display that love he would willingly decisively give up his own life sacrifice himself he would go on to be mocked to be shamed to be humiliated to be tortured and ultimately become a sacrifice for us while we were still what sinners, so as to bring us life. And so if you are a disciple of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've surrendered your life to him, and yet you don't show love for your brother or for your sister, you are at odds with the mission of Jesus. You're living your life at odds with the mission of Jesus. Look, the world wants to know what love is. Every piece of art that's painted, every sculpture that's crafted, every poem that's written is struggling to define what love is. And you contain it within your soul. You have it in your life. Holy God, who is love, the source of love, lives and dwells and abides within you. And we have the ability to show the world what love is. And so we need to stop talking about it. We need to stop thinking about it. And we need to take action to actually radiate this love, for this love to go forth from us for the people that are dear to us and the people who may not be so dear to us. Love's not an infatuation. It's not an obsession. It's not easy. 
Love is not a passion. Love is not something that happens to us. Love is a willful decision to sacrifice for another regardless of who they are. And this love like the light and the heat from the sun finds its source in our Heavenly Father. And so in the words of of John, I just want to say to you, my beloved friends, let us continue to love each other since love comes from God. Will you pray with me? I'm gonna ask our servers to come forward, prayer partners to be up front. They'll be available in the back as well. As they're taking their places, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for how you have loved us even while we were still sinners. We thank you that we find grace, that grace covers us. We thank you, Lord, that at your essence, at your core, there is love. And it is, it is that love that drives your justice, your righteousness, your, your mercy, your grace, all of the expressions of you Lord, find their source in love. And that same divine love, that agape, resides within us like the power of the sun. Lord, may you give us the strength, the awareness, Lord, to live out that love, not to simply talk about it, but to show the world, to give an answer for what love is, not just in word, but also in how we live, God, how we love our brother, and our sister. Lord, we thank you for this time of communion with you. You've presented this supper in front of us with these emblems that represent the sacrifice that you made for us. Lord, we celebrate that sacrifice, that you were the propitiation for our sin. You are the atoning sacrifice. You stood in our place. And we are so grateful, God, and we celebrate that here this morning. May this meal be a reminder to us of your great love and how we might show that love to the world. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to come forward to take of this meal.